On this episode of Stories Behind the Grind, listen to my conversation with Sasa Sestik, 2015 World Barista Champion. We discuss how cafe owners can boost profits, how to foster collaboration in a team, and how our visit to India sparked the beginnings of Project Origin. My name is Aidan Vokolo, and here you will find business strategies, tips, and tactics that you can incorporate not only in your own venture, but your life, to help you simplify and strategically grow, scaling up the impact you're having in this world. Listen as I talk to creators, innovators, and game changers on what it takes to build an impactful business, uncovering their insights, strategies, and tips to help you increase profitability and develop a thriving team culture. Welcome to the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. Also, thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you very much for having me. That's also, you're a world barista champion, author, movie star, Olympian. And now the head of a global distribution company and owner of a range of cafes, as well as Project Origin. Tell me, what motivated you growing up? And did you ever imagine the success you've had today? Oh, well, yeah. First, first of all, absolutely not. <laughs> I did not expect uh, this success so far. Yeah, especially last few years, it's, it has been overwhelming. And uh, kind of in the same time, probably not enough time to look back and enjoy the success. Because of the crazy roller coaster ride since 2015, I guess what motivated me and what still motivates me that that hasn't changed. Uh, it's it's always been the same since the beginning. Just trying to make coffee taste better. Uh, it's pretty pretty simple formula. And uh, along the way, I think instead of just being uh, driven by making more tastier coffees as a barista, you know, roaster as a coffee buyer, etc. It's it's also trying to make coffee more sustainable for people involved in the chain. So, and I think these two things really motivate me to do you know all of the things that you mentioned. In your mind, how how would you define sustainability? Uh, for me, for me, it needs to start with the soil. You know, we we need to make sure that we can look after the soil on a farm level and um, put enough of proper fertilizers, and, and you know that will not damage the soil in the long term. So we can leave that better soil for next generations, healthier than what we found. But most, you know, obviously people, everyone that's involved in a coffee chain, if, you know, this coffee is more delicious and it's, it's tasting to the certain expectations, I think everyone needs to benefit, uh, starting from producers, you know, people involved in the chain and roasters and baristas and, and et cetera. But most importantly, um, customers really need to be able to taste the difference in that cup and to be able to connect with the story so they know they're actually contributing not only to tastier coffee, but they're contributing to make a world a little bit better place. How can baristas or cafe owners communicate that story to customers better? Well, I think number one is um, it's the skills of the barista to actually allow coffee to speak for itself with, you know, how amazing it tastes. You know, I think us as a baristas and roasters, we can only do damage to coffee. It can't make it taste any better than what, what it was intended from the farmer. So, you know, understanding the craft of a barista and how to dial in a grinder and the shots, etc., cetera, is, is one part, which, you know, it's 50%, but remaining 50% is, uh, you know, it's, it's proper hospitality skills and, you know, feeling customers warm and welcome and definitely um, good barista knowledge to be able to share the stories where coffee comes from so people can really connect with that taste and they can understand why it tastes the way it tastes. So really, baristas do have a, this integral part of, of communicating you know, where the beans come from through the supply chain and then through the customer and explaining to them at the end of the day you know, what they're tasting and, and what notes they can 
can sort of um, represent? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, in, in my opinion, role of barista is becoming more and more important. It's all of the things that we mentioned earlier, but I, I also believe that role of the baristas need to, they kind of need to understand what is it that customers want as well and to sort of understand the customer needs. If people like more chocolatey coffees, then, you know, baristas should be recommending that, but maybe finding the best version of these chocolatey coffees instead of giving something to customers that maybe baristas like. You know, not every customer likes uh, floral geisha coffee. You know, some people just love sweet, round, balanced coffee. I think we, we also need to understand as a barista's customer's needs and we kind of should ask them, hey, what do you like? Instead of us giving them what we think they will like. What happens when the customer doesn't know what they like? Well, that's a, that's a starting the conversation as well. And I, I think maybe maybe see what the habits are like. M- many times we have a customers coming to our shops and, um, you know, they're used to drinking, you know, cappuccino, some sugar, or some sugar. And possibly, you know, some of our baristas in the past, they would recommend, hey, I have this new single origin geisha that's floral. Maybe you should try that. And, and for so many people, that's a little bit you know, too much and too different, but possibly um, offering the best versions of the coffees that are comfortable with and uh, best versions of the coffees that are familiar flavors for them. And then once we earn the trust, then we can sort of start taking them deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah, deeper onto a journey of, you know, everything there is to know and, and, and love about coffee. Yeah, we had a, we had like, I shared these stories to a few people, but after mm-hmm. I won WBC in Seattle, we decided to serve my meal-based coffee to, to customers uh, in the shops, in the cupping room, one of our cafes. And coffee tasted like, you know, raspberry candy. It was crazy delicious, very unique. So we've given this coffee to to customer and he wrote a review. You know, I think it was a bean hunter. And he gave us, you know, one star out of five and saying, you know, I ordered the coffee and I expected to taste coffee. But, you know, these people have given me coffee that tastes like raspberries and if I want raspberries, I'll go to market and buy raspberries. When I want coffee, just just give me the coffee. And for me, that was sort of really good learning experience to you know to be able to ask people, hey, what do you like? Rather than give them what we believe they will like. Yeah, I mean that's that, that's an important distinction. You know, sometimes we think we know best, but it's um, you know, it's just asking the question. They can start a conversation between you and the customer that can start to lead onto a journey and to take them on that journey. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You've, you've obviously won a fair few barista champion titles, most notably being the 2015 World Barista Champion. What was that journey like for you? <laughs> yeah, it was a seven-year journey. And uh, I think it was one of the most rewarding, challenging, heartbreaking experiences I've ever had. But I would recommend these competitions to everyone uh, that, you know, likes to be challenged. And to me, being involved in that circle for seven years has definitely helped me to get the best out of myself, to, you know, keep chasing for that perfect coffee. And along the journey, we, we've made so many challenges and so many improvements, met so many great competitors that we got inspired by, tasted so many great coffees that, you know, in early days, I would be dialing in my coffee in the backstage and I would just, you know, smell someone else's coffees from other competitors and I would have, you know, sometimes the opportunity to taste the coffees. 
And, you know, their coffees would taste so much better than mine. So at least he told me what the benchmark is, you know, what, what is that delicious coffee? And every time when I would compete in the early days, I would get lots out of that particular weekend being in Australian barista competitions, finishing last, you know, for first quite a few years. Uh, but I would at least know where I'm at and uh, what I need to do to, to get better. So, um, yeah, I love the journey and, you know, I'd recommend it to, to anyone that's actually thinking of competing because competition is not only about winning, it's about, you know, meeting so many people, networking. I've met so many great friends throughout the competitions and, um, you know, and actually showing where, where your skills are at and if feedback is bad or maybe not as good as you, <laughs> you were hoping, at least you get a good homework, you know, what, what is it that you can develop on and focus on for following months before next competition. What were some of your biggest learnings over that time? For first three years of competing, I, I think at, at the beginning it was more, more about barista skills and, and technical skills. Uh, and even though I did not do very well in competitions, like after practicing for Australian barista competition and then going back to my cafe, I, I suddenly started working more methodically, uh, my technical skills were, were a lot better. I was focused on my flat damping and you know, a, lot, a lot of basic stuff. How clean is my bar? Usually, you, you can notice competitors or baristas that have been competing. They prefer to work in very clean and organized environment. And I think it's, you know, having baristas that have been competing in any coffee shop, it's, it's a benefit because you know that your coffee shop will be, you know, nice and clean. Then after, afterwards, just looking at the score sheets and, you know, if, if, if judges are saying certain things or characters that maybe can influence you to the bad roasting, it was great indication for me to focus for, for roasting for the first few years. But I, I think after competing for four or five years, you, you really start understanding, you know, why do you like coffee? And a lot of experienced competitors in, in the world stage especially you can see they're all individual and they, they kind of, they like coffee for different reasons and they want to share these different ideas and uh, which is a great platform of innovation. And, and these competitions really allowed me to dig deep inside of myself. And, you know, that's when I discovered huge passion for working with the coffee farmers and then, you know, started traveling on the farms and that resulted in me buying uh, several coffee farms as well. And yeah, myself developing some of the new revolutionary processing techniques that today is very popular, you know, carbonic maceration. And even this competition challenged me so much to distribute coffee to, you know, most even possible way. And, you know, that's when I invented the distributing tool, which, you know, there's so many different versions today that have been used. So it really pushed me to as much innovation as I possibly can to make coffee as tasty as possible. Well, wow, so it's really it's really been a catalyst for you to continue to adapt and innovate in the industry. I wanted to talk to you more about you founded a project called Project Origin, which is an ethical green bean trading company. Can you talk a little bit more about what made you found Project Origin and how you've grown it to you know having relationships with over a hundred growers in developing coffee producing countries? Yeah, it's a, another spontaneous and interesting story. So. That all happened in uh, 2012 uh, when I visited uh, India. Uh, one of the farmers that uh, I bought some of their coffee without actually going to India. And I really loved what I've tasted. And I actually decided to go to India and to see the farm and visit visit the place. 
And before that, I, I did travel to more developed origin countries like Costa Rica, Brazil, Panama. But it actually really hit me when I went to India for the first time. Um, it hit me in a way that people that grow that coffee, they don't have a fair go, in my opinion. Farmers are paid really low prices. That particular farm that you know was producing great coffees that I tasted in my roastery, but when I actually went there, people were struggling. You know, there, there were no basics in there. Women had to pick coffees with their little kids in their arms, and uh, you know, there's a wildlife there. It's it's dangerous to you know take babies and then toddlers you know in a bush. So there were no facilities for for childcare or, or school not even uh, sanitary facilities or no, no showers, no toilets. So it, it sort of made me a little bit upset that you know, me having a roastery and we have a decent life in Australia, but we kind of have a decent life on the back of the producers because we're buying their coffees for peanuts and we don't really pay much attention on, on what's happening. And a lot of coffee buyers would sort of make a decision on if they're going to buy that coffee just have coffee cups and how it tastes like. And I really did not want to have that that philosophy that, you know, if maybe this farm in India, Talana Estate, does not produce great coffee following year, I cannot say no to them because I don't want them to, you know, buy to sell their coffee as a commodity as they used to sell for previous 50 years. So I wanted to do a lot more than just go to the farm and buy coffees that I like. So I came back to Canberra and I was really inspired to decide to buy coffee in a different way. And this is when we said, well, how about we we start another new company that we call Project Origin. The reason we came up with the name Project is, you know, you start the project and then you finish it. Uh, but I believe we're not going to have a finished project with these farmers that we work with. It's an ongoing thing where we can support them by buying coffees for premium prices we can support them socially. You know, for example, for this farm in India, we have built a childcare center. We build uh, sanitary systems for all of the farms, hot water. Uh, we organize medical camps for them now. And, and of course, we buy the entire farm, that everything that they produce. So going to this place from year to year, we, can, we, we do more and more and more. And of course, they keep giving us better and better coffees. So that's the sort of philosophy that we, we connect with the people and we looked after them as a part of our family and we worked together for the greater good. Um, and it's, now we have about six or seven people in Project Origin as well and and we have split ourselves that we all look after different continents in different countries because we want to make sure that we can uh, provide this sort of same philosophy to all of the farms that we work with. What's the end goal for Project Origin? Where would you like to see it go and grow to? For us, the end goal is to make coffee good for everyone. Like, um, if we see opportunity that particular producer is willing to grow specialty coffee and they have uh, great resources for that, uh, we want to connect with them and support them to have a coffee from 82 points to possibly be 85 or 86 or 87 points where they can get uh, better value for their crops and we also can keep bringing new and exciting and different coffees to our customers uh, in Australia and worldwide. And um, 
lately we've been focused a lot on uh, carbonic maceration selections from different countries. And that's been a great initiative because we have developed so many new flavors throughout this process. But um, in the same time, you know, for example, in Ethiopia now, uh, which is the coffee that won WBC last year uh, with Agnieszka, our farmers are getting five to ten times higher premiums than what they get what they got previous year. And this year now we're building a bridge for this community in Ethiopia. So we'd love to see success in all of the farms we work with, and we'd love to see them actually going forward. So they can leave their farms in better hands than you know for next generations. Yeah, it's a fantastic initiative that you have got going on. You know, supporting supporting those who really do do it tough. And giving them the opportunity to, you know, to grow and, and to build and to give back to their families as well. It must be so fulfilling to go back and, and to see the difference you've made when you go back to visit these uh, these farmers and growers that you uh, support. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's always nice to see when we go there, to see people are excited and uh, that we've progressed. Maybe some of the projects that we've sort of decided to do and improvements we can see that they they have happened Uh, i think it's one of the most rewarding things for me lately to see positive changes with our partners but it's nice to enjoy it for a few moments but then you kind of ask yourself hey what's next (laughs) what what, what can we do more so um, i wish you know for last couple years i have had a little bit more time to enjoy these moments because there were you know so many great moments with so many different farms, but at the end of the day, it's nice to see that we we are going forward and we we making a little positive input in a in a coffee world. For sure, how can cafe owners get involved with Project Origin? Well, as a, as a Project Origin, we we supply coffee to several coffee roasters in Australia. I mean, for for Brisbane, we work with a. Yeah, Dramanti, uh, Tim Adams, specialty coffee. So, but uh, I think the best way is to get in touch with Project Origin. We have a website there, and team there would would love to have a chat to the cafe owners, to coffee roasters as well, and uh, and support to yeah connect whether it's end consumer cafe cafe roaster with with what we do. We also organize uh, several educational trips. On our farms in Nicaragua and Honduras, the baristas or possibly cafe owners would, you know, they're more than welcome to come and, and spend uh, five or seven days and live the life of the farmer for seven days. Which I recommend to everyone. It's really great experience. And we also organize a non-profit auctions, uh, which is once a year in Honduras. So a lot of roasters and cafe owners are welcome to be part of that event. Uh, to, they, they can be obviously mixed with other coffee buyers from all over the world, as well as uh, coffee producers, cup some of the best coffees and possibly have an opportunity to bid on one of the lots. And yeah, they can sort of have these coffees to be served in their cafes eventually. So yeah, there's, there's uh, several different ways, but yeah, hopefully um, we we get in touch with uh, as many cafe owners as possible. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll include a, a link to Project Origin in the show notes. So, so you, you work with, um, you also work with cafe owners on a sort of consulting basis. What are some tips for those running hospitality venues that you'd like to share? Yeah, I got. <laughs> <laughs> are we more about service or coffees or just the 
I guess more, um, probably more, more on the commercial side um, in terms of, I guess, one, on how, how to make a great experience, but two, how to, how to stay and remain profitable. Yeah. Well, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the profits. We, we, we all know that it is, uh, retail is getting tougher in Australia. Now, this year, comparing with two or three, four years ago, produce is getting higher. Uh, Australian dollar is getting weaker. And, uh, you know, our profit margins are slimmer. Wages, of course, they have increased and they should keep increasing, which I'm excited about. But that that all means that the the profit margins for, for owners are, is, are a lot slimmer than what they used to be. I mean, I, I've been in the cafes for, you know, 10, 15 years plus, and we can definitely feel that in, in our shops as well. And I, I think weekly reporting is it's something that's, that's crucial and setting the budgets, you know, what, what's the end of the week, you know, allowance for food cost and uh, what's the allowance for, for wages. And I'd recommend people to actually start breaking this per day, especially for wages, and, you know, sort of understand what's the busy time, what's the low time, and break down actually um, turnover per hour and then wages per hour as well. And be able to see when where we are overstaffed and we are actually understaffed. It's probably one of the biggest expenses that we have these days, wages and rent. Rent is something we, we cannot, we can control what, what we're getting into, but one, once we're in a cafe, rent is fixed. And turnover is, is what goes up and down. And uh, according to this turnover, we should really be having a benchmarks in order to provide exceptional service, how many staff we should have and for particular day and particular hour and be able to understand that uh, whether you are in a plus or minus on daily basis rather than monthly basis. I've, I've seen a lot of cafe owners are doing only mon- monthly reports. And when we when we work on a monthly reports, it's it's hard to fix that month because full you know month is already finished. But if we can work on a daily reports for the wages and weekly reports for cost of uh, goods, I believe you'll, people will be in better control of their business. Yeah, sort of allows them to make more rapid decisions as opposed to looking back over a month period and going, you know, it can allow people to move a lot quicker in making their decisions on the big items that matter, like you said, like wages, like cogs. Yeah, absolutely. But I think when it comes to service, uh, or you know, the most important thing is to understand what the vision of the cafe is and what the values, what, what sort of culture uh, the owner is is looking to present in that particular environment and employ the people in that establishment that actually represent the value and the vision and the culture of what the cafe is intended to be so everyone can speak the same language. And, you know, the way the way hiring people is actually... I, I usually base the way we hire people are more on personal values, on, on culture, like what does this particular person wants to do in life and see if it matches our culture. And then secondary, we, we look at, um, okay, skills. We, we never put skills ahead of can this person really fit within this environment. So obviously that, that makes it that team is really important. And once you have a great team of people around you, then... Um, not that the establishment can go really far. 
Yeah, I love how you make the distinction between hiring on on values first and and skill set second. It's you know skills can be trained in a sense, but values they're sort of embedded to to who the person is, and it's important to to hire based on that first. So I really like that you made that distinction between between the two, and yeah, going back to the commerciality side of things, really having that sort of granular look, you know, what's happening on a day to day basis to be able to make decisions. I think it's a lot easier when when you have a people that have a that share similar you know values in a life and uh, similar values in what they want to achieve in in a coffee as well and how they want to get there. Once that's done, then when it comes down to troubleshooting, like most likely everyone wants to go to the same direction. And this is the same end goal because if values are the same and people, for example, are working in a company that wants to be in in this part of the specialty market and everyone wants to actually get there, but having people with the same values and different set of skills and working in very collaborative way as well, uh, you'll be surprised that you can get some of the best ideas from someone that maybe is a junior. But if they feel free that they can speak up and they know that their voice is going to be listened and heard. So, so many ideas in our company we got from people that you know just joined the company and they've been producers with us for maybe six months. Uh, but uh, we, we're always happy to listen to, to them and to sort of see how we can... Um, be a step better uh, but um, yeah I think working collaborative is uh, it's for, for, for us it's been one of the key successes how have you found um, or what ways have you fostered collaboration you know it's, it can be often a, a hard thing to do I mean obviously hiring on, on values is a great way to start but how do you keep that momentum going when they when they come on board in the business and it gives them that space to to be able to voice up yeah, so as you were saying, hiring on values is a is a step number one. But um, secondly, I, I kind of look at it like this: number one, like we, we we like a big big bus, right? On a bus, we can call it maybe. <laughs> and we we obviously need to stop from time to time, uh, put the people in. And for me, it's it's really important that you know whoever is going to be part of this bus, uh, values are what you know, shared to, you know, our company values so they can be in the bus. And then the second step is that we're looking for the best seat for these people. And we we, we like to find the seat that these people will shine in the best possible way, whether, you know, someone is, is a barista or someone loves to, you know, work on the floor or maybe someone wants to be a roaster. We, we try to give them the opportunities that they're sitting in the seat that where they can excel they can learn as well. So when they wake up in the morning, they actually love what they do. They do want to go to work and they're excited to be part of the team. And then slowly, as they get trained, and um, we, we start giving them more trust and more freedom to actually to be creative and as creative as possible within their own space. If we have a head barista in a particular cafe, we teach them what are the current practices and procedures and everything else. And once they're comfortable, we, we ask them for the ideas, hey, how do we improve? And, you know, and they, they're more than welcome to actually bring all of the new ideas to, to make this place step better. And when these people are ready to maybe to go to the next step, 
we want them to become a great leader. So before they go to their next position, they need to train someone else to take their position, but that someone else needs to do sort of job better than what they've done. Uh, if that makes sense. <laughs> so in, in this way, people that start with a company, they know what their seat is and they get comfortable with that seat. But then when they kind of get tired of that seat and they want to go elsewhere or a different seat in a bus, they need to make sure they find a replacement for that seat before they give them a green light to go to go elsewhere. It's been nice to see how, you know, quite few people within a company have progressed that way from becoming, you know, assistant barista to maybe head barista like Hugh Kelly to a head trainer to R&D and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I guess as their leader, for me, it's important to sit down with them and, and ask them, what you know, what's their part and uh, what is it that's going to make them happy to be working in a coffee for the next two, three, five years and what is it that they want to achieve and I need to be as supportive as possible so they can, you know, achieve their dreams within a company as well. Uh, so right? Because I, I think many many companies and many people and many baristas say, I've done, I've worked here for three or four years and that's it. There's nothing more for me to learn. So I'm going to go elsewhere. So I, I think we need to provide the environment for people that they can just keep learning, keep progressing and keep improving uh, without the ceiling. I really love that approach you have and, and the analogy you gave before about being on a bus and allowing people on and trying to find people the best seat, you know, sometimes moving people around but always making sure that, you know, the seat that they leave is is replaced by someone, you know, who they can train up to be better than what they were and then to give people the ability to, you know, be able to, to forge their own path within the confines of of the business and of the values that you have, but allowing people to to, to express themselves and to be creative and innovative. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, but it's exciting. I, I think one of the most exciting things for me lately is uh, to see other people grow and to see them, you know, becoming this next generation, next leaders. I think I'm getting, <laughs> it's not that I'm getting old, but, you know, we, we definitely, you know, that to keep innovating and keep progressing, uh, it's not a one-man show. There, there has to be a team of people that will keep bringing these new ideas and fresh ideas. Uh, so um, I, I think it's definitely a good way to to run the companies. And we've, we've seen many very successful, very innovating companies outside of coffee, you know, that are running their companies in collaborative way. And, and we've seen youngsters, 22, 23, 24, coming up with most ridiculous apps, and you know Instagram and Facebook and all of these new things. So um, it's it's giving the freedom for for young people to be to be creative. That's definitely where the future of the business is, and I'm I'm 100 sure it's future of the coffee as well. Definitely for sure, giving people the flexibility and, and freedom to to bring in those you know those crazy ideas that they can suggest after you know like you said six months and potentially change change what the company does and and where it's going and for the better to be able to, you know, deliver coffee to more people in a more sustainable way. Yeah, nice. Thank you so much again for, uh, for coming on the show and, and sharing your wisdom. You know, pleasure. it's honestly been a pleasure. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, Thank for, you very much. No, no worries. Where, where can people, if people want to find more about what you're up to, where's the best place for people to follow? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty active on Instagram. 
And uh, obviously, on a coffee and Project Origin and uh, and my my Instagram as well. So I think it's the best way to get in touch and to follow to see what's happening at the moment and uh, what's coming up next as well. No worries. We'll, we'll, I'll make sure to include a link to your Instagram in the in the show notes uh, for sure. Thank you again. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks and very much. All the best, especially with with some non travel time coming up. It's uh, well deserved, yeah. I'm sure. So, and hopefully, I'll figure that question out. What's my definition? <laughs> <laughs> Something to think about over the next uh, the next few days. Yeah, exactly. I might get the right answer for you next time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank you. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, I appreciate you for stopping by. Please subscribe. Otherwise, if you took away valuable advice from this episode, I'd love for you to share it with others. Until next time.